coming up on the show. I think you should start off by saying, this is YOY and we are in love. <laughs> we, are we? We are. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> My friend Sam. You, yeah, you're no. saying you're in love with the audience, like you listen. Oh. In this episode, we ask each of our moms to look back at their 20s. How did they meet, date, and decide to marry our sexy dads? There was something about his look that was very attractive to me. And of course, afterwards, I realized he reminded me a lot, of course, of my father. He had a lot of the same look. And then divorced them. You know, it was pretty much the same fight for 25 years about respecting me. What can we learn from how they dated? And he came from Brooklyn, and he came over on the train, and he ran over, and he was soaked to the core. He said, you know, whatever I decided to do, he, you know, I would never find anybody who loved him the way that he loved me. And and you've known him for 48, 72 hours. Stay with us. Uh, it was a long weekend, so. A long weekend. My heart is beating, beating like an eclat. YY Radio. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and I'm in love. Not, I mean, like, I'm in a statue, and it's the love statue. I'm not in, I mean, guys, how do you know? How do you know when you're in love? You know you're in love when you're sitting between the V and the E in Robert Indiana's statue in, at uh, West 55th Street in Manhattan. And that's where I'm sitting with my friend Sam Greenspan. Welcome to YY. Hello. Um, Sam Greenspan is a producer of a radio show that you probably know and love called 99% Invisible. And this is his little sister, Amanda. I have nothing to do with the radio business, but six years between you guys. Yep. So uh, I'm 28, Amanda's 22. The only time we were ever in the same school is when I was in fifth grade and Amanda was in kindergarten. I know, and I remember you walking me to Miss Kaplan's class. Yes, and um, me sitting in your huge big boy desk before class would start in Miss Mecca's classroom. My fifth grade class. Aw, big boy desk. Don't remember that at all, but okay, I'm glad you do. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy age difference because you would have been starting puberty at the time that you were learning how to read. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yeah, very much so. One of the circles of hell for me when I was like 12 was being in a house with a six-year-old and all of her friends for sleepover watching Spice World all night. And I would say, and I was like, Mom, they're being really loud. She's like, be nice to them because you might want to date one of your sister's friends one day. Which is like <laughs> inappropriate. Is this is a sexy six-year-old. Mom <laughs> like, wanted me just like... She wanted you to Google six-year-olds, really. Try to pick out your future like, girlfriend. Take, take the long view on this, Sam. You have the opportunity to get in at the ground floor. What's really funny, though, is Mom never said anything like... You know, one day you might want to date one of Sam's older friends, which would have been more appropriate. Yeah, been more appropriate. But I'm not sure how appropriate because when you were 18, I was 12. Well, has I think this that's... ever happened? The dating of each other's friends? No. No. We mostly we haven't lived in the same place. I mean, I 
Well, I was eight. You were 12 when I left for college, right? So that was 2004. And then so so I wasn't home for her from when we haven't lived in the same place since she was 12. When did you guys go from being brother and sister to being friends? Um, I want to say when it was right before Sam was leaving for college and he was like in his 11th and 12th grade of senior year or of high school rather and he like started giving me music to listen to and wait what kind of bands um i remember we you know what i actually remember this i remember sam was taking me to tutoring what yes make me look good right now yeah people are going to judge me based on what you tell them that i gave you Um, was it rem no, I mean Coldplay. <laughs> if I said yes, would you be really mad at me? <laughs> Oasis. It was Smash Mouth. <laughs> it, it was wasn't, Smash Mouth. It wasn't Smash Mouth. No, it wasn't. So Sam would take me to tutoring, and he'd have like this obscure Green Day. It, what? It, Green Day was on there, but he'd have this obscure Blink One Eighty Two. <laughs> I hated Blink-182. You loved Ska. I just I figured Ska. you out. You no, did, I did love, love Ska. Ska. But I hated, I always hated Blink-182. I thought they were, I, I thought they were posers even back in the day. <laughs> oh man, what are those guys up to now? Oh, are you asking? No, I, oh. no, one, no one cares. Uh, everyone listening right now just thought about Googling it and then they changed their mind. <laughs> but anyway, so one day, after hearing this song for like the millionth time, I started to sing along with it. If you want to destroy my sweater, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold this thread as I walk away. As, as I, I walk, walk away, away, I will unravel and soon be naked. Light on the floor, light on the floor. I come undone. So Sam. I remember Sam was like, oh, so you like this music. And then it just like spiraled out from there and I became like this little punk rock little shit. And so I was like listening to everything that was considered really uncool in middle school. But when I would talk to high schoolers, they thought I was really awesome. So. But yeah, so that was um, when we, I, I want to say it was like the music that like kind of connected us, um, which makes sense now because Sam is in radio. And um, so, so it was Weezer and um, The Strokes. <laughs> so much. There goes my credibility. doesn't live around here. While he was in town, we knew we wanted to make a story together. And in that process, we realized that both of our moms met and fell in love with our dads in New York City. And then both of them divorced when we were in college. So then the question is, great as we turned out, did our parents make a mistake? What can we learn from how his mom and his dad and my mom and my dad dated? The three of us are now walking through dark Manhattan to the studio apartment where his parents fell in love. Our parents met at the 1980s equivalent of J-Date 
which is called a Jewish Singles Weekend somewhere outside of New York City. And apparently, my mom's parents were so skeptical of this, they went ahead and scoped it out first. Like, before anyone, like before anyone was there, just to see if it was like, they were going to like harvest your organs or whatever they were afraid of in the 1980s. So my parents spent a Jewish Singles Weekend, and then... Um, they were dating, and I don't know how long they were dating when this happened, but in the story that I have been told, or at least in the story as I have remembered it, the pivotal moment of this story is when it's, it's raining, and my, my, my mom always talked about it, it was very dramatic, that he came, she came to her in the rain. It was like he, like he didn't have an umbrella. Like he comes in like her apartment like dripping wet, and he says something like, I only want to be with you, or you're the one for me, or whatever she found romantic or whatever he said within a month of that time they were married and that was maybe their like third date so what do you know about your parents at the time they were going to the singles meetup like had were they in school out of school what were they doing for a living what kind of clothes did they wear did one of them have giant glasses i think my dad did have giant glasses actually i think he had some pretty sweet aviator glasses which i thought were hilarious when i was like 12 and now i kind of want them which is the way of the world. So my dad did have giant glasses and wore cutoff jeans, I think. So my dad was working in the film industry. My dad is from Brooklyn. Uh, he had gone to film school at Hunter College. And he um, he was working, he did, I think, a lot of like B-movies. I think he did a lot of slasher movies. Like he did sound, he was a sound guy. He was a sound engineer. I remember he told me once he did worked on some slasher film where there was like someone like shoving a giant butcher knife like up underneath the bed. A guy like shoving a knife through the underside of a bed to kill someone who was sleeping, and he and he talked about how he like took a knife and a mattress and was like, <laughs> that's not actually what it sounds like, but that's the best I can do with my voice. And my mom was working at the Citicorp Tower, I think, at Price Waterhouse. She was an accountant. That this is a movie set that we're walking up to. I must be. I mean, there's two white tracker trailers on either side of a very short, narrow road. Uh, there are police officers. Oh my god, it's Cash Cab. What's that? It's Cash Cab. No, it's not. No, it's not. Don't tell me it's Cash Cab. <laughs> no, Cash Cab looks like it. How will we ever find out what it is? You want to ask someone? Hey, what TV show is this? It's a movie called Trainwreck. Okay. You think it's going to be any good? Yeah, it'll be one of those comedic, it's a Judd Apatow movie, so uh, it's like 40 year old virgin or. Like, oh. Something like that, so. Cool, thank you. Who do you think's in that taxi? The model taxi? I don't know, it's a Judd Apatow movie, so probably Seth Rogen, hot female James lead. James Franco's here. James Franco. <laughs> uh, we'll never know. Trainwreck. Trainwreck. Calling a movie Trainwreck is really, really inviting <laughs> the wrath of the gods, right? It's like, how is that movie Trainwreck? Oh, it was a Trainwreck. Right? Like, it's, yeah, it's giving the reviewers like, a lot to work Judd, with. Judd Apatow, it must be like pretty, feeling pretty confident about like his his clout as a filmmaker these days. Be like, I'm so good at making movies, I'm going to name it Trainwreck. So I remember really clearly the day that my parents told me that they were getting a divorce. You know, I think it's one of those things that kind of sticks in your brain and it's kind of a game changer. It's like when you found out that you got into college or not, or it's like when you found out... Um, someone died. I feel like it's one of those epic moments in your life where there's a BC. BD and AD. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those moments. Before divorce, after divorce. Yeah, exactly. 
So do you guys feel that way too about your own parents' announcement? Yeah, I actually kind of have a weird story about that one. Uh, so Now Amanda is going to try to tell a story, and I keep interrupting her. You'll hear it eventually. My parents was doing homework or something. It was like 9 o'clock at night. My parents um, told me to come into the bedroom, and um, remember my dad just did not talk at all. My mom just kind of laid it all out on the table. And then I was just like, all right, and just walked out, and then I walked out the room and out the door. Um, Did you see it coming at all? Yeah, I had known things were going to get really, I, I had remember things being bad. I just didn't realize it was like to the point where someone had a breaking point. Um, so walking down the street. Here's the first time I got in the way. And, they also, and when you say it was bad, like it was bad in what way? It was bad in terms of fighting or tension? Yeah, I was fighting. Um, basically, like no one was really talking to each other in the house. It's like, I can't remember specific things anymore. Um, but it was like no one had a real conversation, which is probably why I don't really remember it. I mean, I think I even sensed that. I was at college. I, I, I remember talking to you, Amanda, and to mom, and I don't know if I was talking to dad at that point. Um, but, like, there was a sense that, like, something was happening, and, like, no one really would really tell me what was going on. And so I think I kind of just was waiting for the shoe to drop. So, um, what my mom specifically told me was, don't tell Sam, because she wanted to tell you herself. So... Because she didn't want to, she didn't want to tell, she didn't want to tell me by herself. She wanted to tell me with dad, but dad would not be on the phone to do it with her. Yeah, so I'm, I'm walking down the street. And I interrupted her again. Wait, why wouldn't your dad be on the phone to do it with her? Because he didn't agree with it, and so he didn't want to have any part in it. I called her later to ask about this story. She told me that on that day, when her parents told her they were getting the divorce, she stormed out the door and went for a walk. And this was back when like, I thought I was cool and um, I smoked cigarettes. And as a teenager, you have to sneak off to do this. And I, I remember I behind the signs in my development which was like the perfect hiding spot for smoking and drinking in my neighborhood. So there she is, on a cell phone, calling her friends and sobbing. All of a sudden, there's like this burly void. Like, I see you back there. I'm like, just ignoring him. And he's like, I see you, I see you smoking pot. So she checks out this guy. He's big, really big. And he has a big dog and he's really mad. She starts heading home, and he follows her. He's like calling to me as I'm walking down the street. Like, don't come back here, like I'll, I'll know where you live, and, and all this other stuff. And then, you know, by the time I got back to my house, I was calmed down. Um, I probably reeked of cigarette smoke though, and my parents just kind of looked at each other and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, fine. And I opted not to tell them about the guy who making all these weird threats to me. That day, when she was 15, it marked the beginning of a rebellious stage for her. She started getting drunk a lot, smoking pot. Thinking about it now, 
it's really funny because that guy was actually the only one who actually called me out on it. It's a pretty nice street. There's a lot of trees. And now we're at the apartment. Uh, that's 408. That's 408. Where her parents met. What kind of a... They're above an upholstery store. So my mom said that when she lived in this building that the latch on the front door was just never never actually locked and so she didn't even need a key to get inside. And she said and she came back in 2010 and came to this building and it was still broken. So let's go find out if we can get into this lobby. Locked? Wow. Big changes. Yeah. Can't get in, but we have a can see the We got in the first level of the door. Yeah. I bet your mom pressed these buttons. An incredibly well-dressed guy comes down the stairs. Jesus. Oh, sorry about that. You guys are filming or something? Yeah, I did a radio story. My mom used to live here. <laughs> How no. many years ago? Uh, about 30. Oh, okay. It's where their parents fell in love. In this building? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Inside. Wow. Yeah. 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 Let's sit on the stoop. I bet your parents sat on the stoop and smoked cigarettes. Should I just call? Oh, I could call. Oh, should I call my mom? <laughs> Do you want me is to? She, is, do you think she's that? I think, I think she'd answer the phone. So Sam called his mom. I sat next to him recording, and his sister sat next to me, playing with her cell phone. Mom, guess where I am? Where are you? I'm with Amanda, and we're at, we're at 410 East 64th Street. Oh, you are? Really? Uh, where, are you right in front of my old place? We're sitting on your old stoop. Oh, my, is the door still open? No, the door's fixed. Really? Yeah. Now, Amanda is scrolling through Facebook. She pauses on a photo of an engagement ring. She reads the caption, sizes up the likes, and evaluates the ring. Keeps scrolling. For a while, Sam and his mom talked about the street, the tiny studio apartment. He tells her about some of the things the dapper man told us. $2,700? Yeah, a month. I paid $374 when I moved in. And that was including utilities. So tell me the story of when Dad came to visit you in the rain. Okay, well, I met Dad at sleepaway camp. Tell me what happened after the sleepaway camp. Okay, well, I'm trying to remember. I think there were a couple of, well, there were a couple of things at the camp that kind of gave me some red flags and, and, and stuff. And, and then when we got back... Wait, red flags? Yeah, when I think back on it, there were sort of red flags. And then I... Uh, so I've, I've heard you tell the story a lot of times, and this is the first time you're starting the story this way. You're already, you've rewritten the narrative in your head. Well, I'm just telling you the whole, I'm telling you more of it. Well, I, okay, I can leave out that. No, 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 no. So tell us, like, what were the red flags? Um, there were just some things that he did, and so when we came back to New York, I said, well, I think we're going to get, we're, I think we're moving too fast because, like, the day after he met me, he told me he loved me at camp, and I didn't say anything to him, but I, we got back, and then I got a letter from so this guy who wanted to meet me, and I just I just got started getting really feeling like things had gone too fast. I think what happened was he came back with me after the camp, and we went to eat pizza, this pizza place around the corner, and being in a completely different environment than we were in the camp, you know, the whole weekend was really romantic and wonderful and, you know, felt right. And then it, we just came back and just didn't feel right. Um, when Dad called, I said, actually, he had pizza, and he went back 
and I don't know if it was that same night, but he called me and I said, we had this wonderful weekend, but I think things are just moving a little too fast. And the next thing I knew, he had, it was pouring, pouring rain out. And he, like, you know, it was it was a walk from, I mean, the rain was going sideways, so an umbrella didn't do any good. And he came from Brooklyn, and he came over on the train, and he ran over, and he was soaked to the core. And he said, you know, whatever I decided to do, he, you know, I, I would never find anybody who loved him the way that he loved me. And, and you've known him for f- 48, 72 hours. Uh, it was a long weekend, so... A long weekend. You had known him for a long weekend. Okay. It was Labor Day weekend. You said, yes, you said any very skeptical, but... So, so, maybe, so, maybe, maybe, so maybe it was the fourth day, because maybe it was Labor Day weekend, so maybe it was like, maybe it was like, mon- like Monday when you had off of work. Uh, or, or Tuesday. Or, or, okay, okay, okay. So you've known him less than a week, he comes over, he says this to you, and then what? And swept me away, I guess. So you went, you fell for it. I'm uh, not sorry. You know, not that you fell for it. You fell for him. I felt the way that I had felt over the weekend. So his gambit worked. I guess so. <laughs> okay. Okay, and and so, but then the doubts that you had disappeared for a while, or you thought that they were irrelevant, or what? I think I was pretty happy. What were the doubts that you had when you're having pizza? Honestly, it was some. It was actually kind of the way that he acted on the bus coming home. And you know what? I never. You know, it's funny. I was thinking. I. I really. I never said any of this to him. And maybe. You know. Maybe. Who. I mean. You, it's like you always try to protect people by don't. And then you wind up not speaking the truth sometimes. But um, I remember that he was smoking then, and he was. There was. You know, they didn't have these rules about not smoking and stuff the way you do now which is more a matter of being polite you know not to smoke on a bus he started smoking on the bus and these people started asking him to stop smoking and I asked him to I, I asked him to stop smoking all I remember he kept saying was but it's an air conditioned bus as if that was supposed to like magically draw the smoke out of the air and he wouldn't stop smoking, and everybody was getting really pissed off at him, and I was sitting next to him. Was he the only one smoking on the bus? It was one other guy in front of him, I think. They were kind of, like, doing it together. And Okay. And whenever... So they were having, like, a dude moment where they're like, yeah, we're going to smoke on this bus. And, and we weren't even in the back of the bus. We were, like, in the middle of the bus. Right. Okay. I just was really embarrassed, and I also felt like since they asked him not to do it, that he shouldn't continue to do it. So thinking back on that now, like, what do you draw from that experience? You need to be honest right up front about who you are. No, I mean, for you, no, I mean, for you, no, no don't generalize it. I mean, like, no, literally, like, what, so when you think about that, that has meaning for you now because you're telling me it, but, like, what does that mean in the context of, like, you and Dad, the way he responded that way? Like, why, like, what is it, what resonates in your mind when you think of that detail? Well, I think that it kind of is a you know, sort of red flag of things to come. Because, like, you you had asked him to do something that's, like, don't smoke on this bus, please, because you're embarrassing me, and he wouldn't put it out? That doing things because you asked him to was not going to be a theme of your marriage? Uh, yeah. I, I for some like, things that, you know, when it was something that was important to me, and I felt like that was important to that to me in that moment. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so you get back from the, the Jewish singles camp. He comes to you in the rain and says, I think I'm falling in love with you. You were swept away off your feet by it. How long was it from when you met until when you were married? Two months and two days. The only thing, the thing I can say is it was a very, it was like a time warp. It was... It was a time warp. It was a time warp, not in the sense of condensing time, but in the sense of expanding time. What does that mean? It just means that I felt like I really knew him, and, you know, by the end of the... Like, were you spending every day together? Would you call it binge dating? Binge dating? Like you're binging on, on someone else's presence, as you might other... Uh, drugs. No, nope. I never heard the expression, but I guess so. But I don't know. Okay, but like, okay, so you, so from your point of view, so you get off work, and every day are you and you like, what you call? Uh, how do you get in touch with each other back then? Did you call? Like, did you just have like you pick up your office phone and then you try to ring him at home, and if he answered, then he would you'd tell him like what time to meet you and where. I guess so. I mean, I, you know, it's not like I have a clear memory of it, but that's how it must have been. I do remember that I had a telephone with a long cord that could go basically from one end of my apartment to the other. Yeah, it's revolutionary technology. A long cord of a telephone. A long, a long telephone cord is revolutionary technology. Okay, but you describe that as being like in a, in a time warp because you were seeing each other every day or because what? Was there a reality distortion bubble around you? Because two months and two days sounds like such an incredibly short time, uh-huh. but it seemed like we knew each other forever. So did you feel like you had always known each other? I mean, pretty much right away, because the, the, the first weekend was very intense. I remember waking up, and he was outside the, the bunk already waiting for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So he came on strong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're at your apartment at 410 East 64th Street in New York. Um, if we had a time machine and could go back in time and we could be on this stoop in 1982, was it? No, we were married. Our simple ceremony was in November of 81. Oh, so 80, was it 80, 81? Yeah, I, was, I graduated college in 79 and went to work for Pricewaterhouse for two years. If we had a time machine and can go back in time and be on the stoop in 1981... The day that you're moving into this apartment, what would you want us to tell you from the future? You know, I, I moved into that apartment in 79. Okay, you, okay, 79, 80, 81, whatever. It doesn't matter. If we had a time machine to go back to the year, what would you want us to tell you to that version of you the day that you're moving in? Into my apartment? Just into my apartment? Yes. I would want you to tell me that someday I would have the best, most creative, most wonderful kids in the world. That's a stock answer. No, what do you like? Would you say, like, <laughs> would you want us to tell you don't go to the Jewish Singles Weekend? No! Be here. Because then I wouldn't have you and Amanda. I love it when moms say stuff like that. It makes me feel like I can do no wrong with my decisions in my 20s. If I can just look back in my 50s and say, oh, that was fine. It feels untrue to me. I spend so much time overthinking things and trying to minimize regret. While Amanda plays Candy Crush, Sam and I talk about the call. Okay, now I didn't hear the conversation, but I just have to say that, and I'm going to have a a similar conversation with my own mom this week while she's in town um, about how my parents dated. But this is this, like, theory that I'm feeling right now, which is that when our parents dated, you know, like, how there's those, like, 
child puzzles where there's like a circle and then there's a circle piece and you put the circle in the circle piece and there's a square and a square piece and you put the square in the square hole. I feel like when our parents dated, there were only like six different shapes and they like were very easy to pair together. And now that I'm dating, I feel like my shape is like this crazy snowflake and it's like impossible to fit it into anything because <laughs> like our standards have changed and the nuances of what we're looking for has changed. And they're just like, Whoop, yeah, he totally fits. Known him for two months. Let's just do this. And I'm like, I'm going to take forever to know what's right for me. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to put it. I mean, maybe instead of having a bunch of different, we have more shapes now, like our material is just way more rigid. And it's just, you can just kind of like take two, like a shape that's like a squarish, a squarish rectangle and like a rectangleish square. And you can kind of, you can kind of like, and like make them work easier. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever totally fit in a hole. I think I'm just trying to find a material that's pliable enough that I can smush against it. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of get a stick. I had my draw open a lot. Yeah, what was so surprising for you about it? Well, that he told her that he loved her or or that he think thought he was falling in love with her like the day after they met. Coincidentally, my mom was in town this past weekend. We were out at a dive bar in Williamsburg, and I grabbed her to talk. In the background, we hear a lot of music I imagine my parents listening to on the radio when they were dating. I... I'm having a lot of trouble remembering this. Your father was a co-worker of one of my good friends from my childhood through high school. She Marcy. Was, Marcy was her name, and I've pretty much lost touch with her. But I had known her since I was a small girl. Our parents were friends. She was working for an advertising agency the name of which will come back to me eventually. And um, she had a small little studio apartment, I want to say in the 70s, and I can't even remember if it was east side or west side. Really? Because Sam's mom's apartment was on 64th Street on the east side. I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever be able to remember where she lived. But I was working at the time at Madison and 55th. And what kind of a job was it? I was working for um, a financial planner and insurance. He did life insurance and financial planning. So she was working, I can't remember what she did for this advertising agency, but she mentioned to me that a new guy had started working, he had just moved, was separated and getting divorced was new in the area, and he seemed like a really nice guy. Had a killer mustache. I think he did have the mustache then. And that he was working really long hours. He didn't want, he didn't really like New York City. And so he had, he was renting an apartment up in Connecticut and commuting into work. But she, she seemed to think he was a nice guy. And I think she was dating somebody at the time. And so she did arrange for the blind date for us. And I was working in New York, but I was living out on Long Island. And so I don't know if it was on a weeknight or a Friday night, or if I came back in on a Saturday. Boy, it's been a really long time because this was... How old were you? How, I hate to say how many years ago. But this, how old but do you think you were? I was probably 22. Wow. So, 
Uh, this is about 35 years ago, so it's a really, really long time. But I think that he did come in from Connecticut. It must have been a Saturday night. And um, we were introduced at that apartment. But the, uh, the interesting thing is that he sort of tried to call and cancel late in the afternoon. And I think he had met somebody on the train. Oh my and God. probably thought he had either a more sure thing or at least somebody he had met rather than me that was going to be a blind date. So, um, why do you think it was on the train? Oh, he, I mean, he told me afterwards. He, yeah, so he called to try to cancel, but my friend talked him into coming down anyway because I'm pretty sure we were going she, with the guy she was dating, so it was going to be the four of us. And I, I honestly cannot recall 100% of what we did, but he did come down, and there was something about his look that was very attractive to me. And of course, afterwards, I realized he reminded me a lot, of course, of my father. He had a lot of the same look. You mean balding? Slightly balding. And he just had a really, he, he is a nice looking man in his own very unique way. And so I remember we went to dinner. We must have been drinking because I'm sure we were drinking. I think that we ate dinner someplace and then we went down to the Blue Note in the village. This is when this kind of thing was accessible. We, it wasn't $75 of drinks to get in. You could get in for maybe a $10 cover and a two drink minimum. Think about that compared to today. But I'm pretty sure we went there and oh. then went back to my friend's apartment and he had driven his car in and then he went back. Um, and then I, I did like him. He's very appealing, very per personable and charming kind of a man. So but when did you know that, that he was the man you wanted to marry? Like how long did that take? I think pretty soon after meeting him, I knew that he was different than anybody I had ever met. That there were, he had characteristics and he had a self-confidence and a, an assured mannerism about himself. He just, which was the complete opposite of me because I was actually kind of shy and um, not terribly self-confident and didn't have a lot of faith in my own skills and my own abilities and he was so different than I was and it was so incredibly attractive and even the first time when I met him and he said well you know I work at such and such advertising agency and um, that's okay and I studied advertising in college but I'm really trying to get a job with General Motors and and sure enough six it took a long time but six months eight months later something like that he did finally get the call and get hired by them which was his dream and where he still works and that just was the fact that he told that to me on his first date well I'm doing this but this is not what I'm going to do I'm going for this and he got it it's um it's an it's again totally different than I was or anybody I knew very attractive characteristic. When did you know that, when did he propose or when did marriage come up? 
not for a while because after he got the job with GM, it involved a cross-country move, which didn't actually come right away. But I think he got the job eight months later, and then he went for training for a while, I think about a month. And he came back on weekends, and then after that, they just gave him a temporary assignment, which was outside of Washington, D.C. So I just remember going down and visiting him a couple of times in Virginia. And then it was probably about a year after I met him when he finally got a permanent job transfer, which was out to California, to the Central Valley of California. And so then I had the decision to make, but we were lucky that he had had these temporary assignments, which gave us more time to be together and figure this out. And then I did move out to California with him about a year after I met him. And I can't remember, I believe it was two years later that we actually got married, but we were living together. And you know, that's, I think if the circumstances had been different, again, red flags, in retrospect, um, if he had been working and living and working in and around New York and didn't involve a big transfer, which is a big commitment, I don't know if we would have continued dating. I think I would have figured out right away that I had maybe a different path. But then once we were out in California and living together... And, and you were separate from all your friends and family. From friends and family. Um, Although I really did like California. And we were a little more social then because we were a young couple and we socialized with um, a friend of his from his training, a little bit with the neighbors, a little bit with people he worked with and people he had business contacts with. So it was kind of a very fun time. Now tell me if I'm wrong, but I remember that there wasn't like a traditional like will you be my wife engagement kind of a moment. There was not a big, oh. <laughs> right? Or else I would know that story. Well, he did, we did sort of talk all along about getting married. And then um, he sort of did propose to me. We were in a restaurant, don't ask me the name. There was certainly no big fanfare, certainly not getting down on his knees. But I think we had always assumed we were, as someone once said to me, on a marriage track. And then he sort of did say, well, we probably should get married. And then I guess I considered that sort of our engagement moment. But don't ask me where we were. We were at some seafood restaurant in Oakland. And then about a week later, he came back and he said, this engagement is not a good idea. He had priced rings. <laughs> I, well, I didn't know anything about the price of rings. And this was 1979. We got married in 1980. So I can't even imagine what the price of rings was back then. And then about a week later, he came back and he said, you're in luck. <laughs> and he used to travel as part of his job. And he was in some small Central Valley, California town. Sure enough, there was a jewelry store that was going out of business and he spotted it and he went in and they had three engagement rings left. So he said to hold all three of them, he'd be back. And we went down and we picked out my engagement ring at a going out of business sale. <laughs>
it's like if someone could look at that and say, oh, that's not very thoughtful, but it does, like, you were kind of a practical gal. I, I was, and I had never, I was never the person who dreamed of the big fancy wedding. I never had the Barbie bride dress-up set. I'd never had that fantasy or the dream, and I guess I was very practical. But that engagement ring was a fifth of a carat diamond. I, I still have it only because I don't quite know what to do with it. And it came, it was in a very pretty little setting and it came with the wedding band also. So we were all set for that. When the time came that we did actually get married, I paid more for a simple gold band for him to wear than he paid for my entire set at the going out of business sale. <laughs> A hypothesis I have is that, like, at the time that Sam's parents got married and my and my parents, you and Dad got married, I feel like people were less. It was like, oh, I'm a square shape and you're a square shape too, and you just fit it in and it's easy. Or you're not a like circles go with circles, squares go with squares, and it, people were just like less picky about it. And now I think we all think of ourselves as like beautiful, nuanced snowflakes, and we're very like careful about our our life selection because we're doing it so much later. It was a different era. I mean, and we I was the first generation of women's lib, but there is something about getting married in your 20s where you think that the world is a clean slate, that you will make your own path and you'll make your path together. And that, that the things about your partner that are a little grating to you, perhaps, or maybe that you don't quite see eye to eye, well, we'll work those things out. We'll change, you know, we'll grow together and those things will change. And now, you know, dating in your 50s is a lot different and relationships in your 50s. Paralleling probably the different relationships in your 20s. But now when you're 50 and you're looking and you're dating somebody, you don't think about how you're going to change that person or adapt. You just more think, can we have enough space to each be ourselves within this relationship rather than this intertwining, you know? Like I've lived alone for just long enough that I just do not see how I will ever share a closet or a bathroom on a 24 seven, 365 basis. You know, and it doesn't mean that I have any less love for my partner right now. But it's just that we have a different expectation. I think I know the answer to this. So I'm going to ask it and then tell you what I think the answer is. But do you ever wish that you had vetted dad more seriously or treated dating differently in your 20s? I've sometimes wondered if I hadn't moved out to California with him, you know, if he hadn't been transferred out there, would we have continued dating? Or would I have seen him more for what he was but I don't I don't think I would have because I think that that he loved and respected me and I think we actually had a pretty good marriage I think he loved and respected me for being a little bit of a different kind of an individual um, being a little you know being smart and a little analytical in a different way than he was. And a great mom. I think I did a really nice job raising the kids and I think I I think some of that was despite him. But you never but it's not like you guys got married and then six months later or after I was born you said, Oh, what have I gotten myself into? Right. I don't think I ever 
question that. And if I, there were moments when I thought, oh, you know, you sometimes you I'd look at him and I think he was such a stranger. Or, you know, I think he was. Well, we didn't argue a lot, but we pretty much had the same argument for 25 years, and it would crop up every year or two, and it would be the same argument, and he would generally win. And I would often think to myself, every time you win this argument, that you win and you don't give in, and, and you get your way and I don't get my way, every time this happens, I care a little bit less. And it's going to catch up to you one day, and it did, because when he asked for a divorce, it caught up finally. And it's like, yeah you're not worth fighting with one more minute. And, that, you know, it was pretty much the same fight for 25 years about respecting me. And, yeah, you won. You won the argument, but in the end, I always knew he would lose the war. And he did lose the war because when he wanted the divorce, I didn't fight for him. And I think in many ways he was asking for divorce, but sort of like saying, save me from myself. You know, I listen to a lot of country music, as you know, and country music is just dreadful for the lyrics, but sometimes they're really funny, you know, but there is one, one country song I listen to that it says, the story goes a little bit, um, it was my wife's birthday and I said, what do you want, honey? Whatever you want, I'll get it for you. And she said, I think I want a divorce. And then the lyric kind of goes, it's cheaper to keep her, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that in many ways, you know, you get in that position in your marriage, and while it might not be, you know, um, fireworks all the time, you have such a, a shared history, and you've got children that you share, and you have a home, and and financial arrangements, obviously, and you're looking to the future after the years of doing without or making sometimes harder choices. And um, and I think sometimes it's cheaper to keep her. You know, I think there's, with the statistic is half of all marriages end in divorce. And I can't tell you how many people I know who are still married who are just waiting for their husbands to die. They, they can't stand each other, and they're so stuck. I'm glad this wasn't my parents' fate. The reality is, everyone is happier this way, especially my mom. If you had told me, even 10 years ago when I was still married, that today I would be teaching in an alternative school, which your father would have never, never been happy knowing the circumstances of where, where the students I teach and where I teach. He would have had a fit. That I take, for, I take ballet class for adult beginning ballet. I, I never would have dreamed I'd do it, but it's something that makes me so ridiculously happy. You know, some people go to Zumba, I go to ballet. I love it, I love every minute, I love everything about it. I can't, and I didn't have to explain that to anybody when I wanted to do it. And I go out dancing to country bars. The difference of being single is that I, I do whatever I want. There's, and I don't have to ever explain myself to anybody. 
Well, thank you so much, Mom, for talking with me. This was, um, it was cool hearing the story, and I think you're in such a good place right now. It's really, it's fun to ask you about it from such a great vantage point. Well, I'm happy to be able to look back happily on it. You're down on your luck. You just lost your truck. You can't afford another beer. Your credit cards don't work. The whole world thinks you're a jerk. You're wondering how you wound up here. It would have been cheaper to keep her. friend's house watching Columbo Eating cold pizza in your underwear Just remember I told you so It would have been cheaper to keep her the song my mom laughs at while she's country line dancing special thanks to sam greenspan amanda greenspan and their mom donna yois obscenity intern is aaron and hopkins our artwork was done by greg harrison at gregcircanal.com if you are a regular listener and you haven't left a review for this show yet on itunes what are you waiting for it's the one free thing you can do to support what i'm doing each week Go ahead and do it. I appreciate it. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and online, WFMU.org. You have to move to Mexico. It would have been cheaper.